This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, and with me today are my alter egos, Nicole Yang and John Corrales. Guys, how you doing? <laughs> Great. That was Great. me with a, with a vocal finger. <laughs> That's right. I am the genius behind Lockdown Celtics. That's You've all been listening to me. I'm at Reds Army underscore John. That's right. Tom has been doing all of the Celtics pods. Right. All of them are Tom. Tom is like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. He's been pulling the levers for all of this. He is actually everybody. He is Adam Himmelsbach. <laughs> he is Jay King, uh, Mark Murphy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all. It's impressive. Shame look, that your run had to come to an end like this. But <laughs> look, it's a lot of work to try to like splice myself interrupting you guys over like you know like I I put in a lot of work to really keep up the facade. Been precise but... though, it's been very like accurate for sure. But I'm ready to I'm ready to have you all go missing. So, mm. uh... <laughs> all right, this is uh... <laughs> this is going as as I thought it would. We're Just as we said, no, we've got no jokes about this. <laughs> Tom opens up with the barrage of jokes about this. <laughs> I mean, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, we are uh, we're thrilled to have Corrales on. This is going to be part of a two-part podcast. Uh, on the Geno time end, we're going to talk about uh, reasons for caution and, and why the Celtics team is definitely improved, but, you know, why there's still reasons to have, you know, some concerns. Um, on Corrales' end over on uh, Locked On Celtics, which I assume that many of you are subscribed to anyway, but if you aren't, you should definitely go do that. Um, we're going to talk about why this team is good and why there's reasons, real reasons for optimism. I think just to kind of start, one of the most interesting things about this team right now is how there's real reasons for both. Calling a team a Rorschach test is kind of overdone at this point, but like, <laughs> like this team is truly kind of the ultimate basketball team Rorschach test right now, where if you want to look at them negative, you absolutely can. Uh, and then, you know, if you want to be positive, you can do that too. So I guess let's just start kind of general. What, what do you guys see as kind of the biggest reason to still kind of pump the brakes on this team? Why, why, why should we pump the brakes right now? My first reason to pump the brakes is that there's such a disparity from when they're whole and when they're not that any little thing that goes wrong, any one injury that goes that, that they may suffer is a recipe for disaster. While my generally optimistic takes have hinged on when they're whole, they can be really good. They haven't been whole for much of this season. There's a risk that Kemba has a setback with his knee. There's a risk that Marcus Smart during one of his winning plays hurt something. There's a risk that any one of these other guys just in general can suffer whatever. And, you know, depending on what they're, I don't know who's getting a vaccination or not. There are guys on this team who haven't gone through the health and safety protocol and might be at risk for that at some point. So my, my number one fear for this team is their inability to make up for the loss of more than one player at any given time. 
Totally. The margin of error is so small and adding to the list of players, you could identify a reason for, I don't know, multiple guys, Jalen Brown and his knee tendonitis, Robert Williams and his health history. Right. Like it's not like just the hip like, thing with Rob. Exactly. Like, there are guys that have documented issues this season that could crop up. And then just from a logistical standpoint, there are only 14 games left and they still right. don't have everyone whole. So they're against the clock here. If we were halfway through the season, yeah, I think it would be a lot easier to be optimistic, but they don't have a lot of room to actually make up ground. And then that could put them in a difficult position when it comes to seating and you go from there. So I think just from like a pure logistical standpoint too, they're in a tough spot. Definitely. I think it's one of the things that's kind of interesting about their, their schedule going forward is, is they've obviously put themselves, they put themselves in this position to potentially, you know, win the four seed with this six game winning streak. But if you look at some of the teams around them in the standings, the Celtics have won eight of their last 10. So have the Hawks and the Knicks have won like seven of their last 10. So they caught this heater and they just had the bad luck of the teams grouped around them all catching a heater at the exact same time. That's tough. And and again, that kind of goes to, to both your points about the margin for error is just, it, it's really small. And I think the other thing to kind of wonder about here is like Jason Tatum has been otherworldly. He had a, a really bad game yesterday. I mean, yeah, I know he had the triple double, but he was three for 17 from the floor. You know, Tatum like is a no no questions asked star, but he is kind of a streaky guy. You know, he'll he'll go through these stretches where you know he'll have a stretch like like he's had over the last little while where he's averaging 29 and a half points a game. He had that stretch last year where he was averaging 30 a game and shooting like 50% from three. But then he'll also have stretches where you know he's averaging 24 points a game on 22 shots. Can the Celtics win those games? Like I, I think I think so. Um they, they certainly have showed a lot more resolve recently. But I think that, you know, if he cools off at all or, or if he, you know, kind of goes into like a little mini slump, again, the margin for error, like will the Celtics be able to like win enough games since the Hawks and the Knicks kept pace with them? Can they keep winning and, and, and kind of keep doing this long enough to claim the fourth seed? I think that's another thing that's kind of interesting to keep an eye on. Just because I'm on Geno time, let me take a negative view. Let's go. Let's let's take the negative view of Jason Tatum here and wonder if this stretch that so I wrote about. Tatum knocking on the door of superstardom, right? And the past, let's throw Chicago out for the time being and say prior to that, he's had about a couple dozen games where he's been phenomenal. Those games, his best games have come against teams without elite rim protection. And part of what makes him so superstarish in this run is getting to the rim. So if I'm taking a pessimistic view on Jason Tatum, I can bring up that if there is length at the rim, which there was length defending him against Chicago and length across the board, he has had a tendency to shy away from that length and from that contact. And it does seem to bother him still at this point of his career. If the Celtics in the playoffs match up, okay, everybody's talking about like, hey, you match up against Atlanta. Well, Atlanta's got Clint Capella and that's, you know, a problem at the rim. And the Celtics in general, when they see somebody impeding their progress at the rim, have a real tendency to settle for those mid-range shots. They don't even want to attack the rim at all. What they want to do is they want to take their fadeaways and they say, oh, somebody's there to block my shot. Jalen Brown is going to do that step spin and fade in the lane, which he hits a bunch of times. But when you do that, you're, you're hitting it at a much lower rate than layups, which, you know, Tatum has been hitting at like 70 something percent recently. So if Tatum and Brown and the rest of the guys are, I don't want to say afraid of getting to the rim, but if they find these matchups where there are, there is rim protection, I want to see, like, this is a little bit of a prove it spot in the schedule for these guys. 
when there is elite rim protection, is this team willing to do the things they need to do offensively to attack that shot blocker or pull that shot blocker away with their ball movement? Yeah. I will say in mild defense of Tatum, you know, like you mentioned, like throw the Chicago game out. And I think that's fair. I will say that he does deserve some credit for compiling 10 assists. They were defending oh. him. They were keying in on him. And, and he, I thought he'd made a lot of, I mean, Danny Ainge on the broadcast noted he made a lot of really nice passes. He does seem to be kind of leveling up that part of his game when defenses do collapse on him. And I do think that like the stuff at the rim probably will come, but I think that, you know, maybe to your point, if it comes this year, that will play a big factor in whether or not this team can make a run or whether there's reason to be optimistic. Like he needs to start doing that soon because that like, you're exactly right. Like that's a really important part of him being great and him being great is a very important part of the Celtics uh, success. And to that end, I think another step in his superstardom will just be playing through contact or drawing fouls at the rim. He sort of shies away from it intentionally where it's like, no, you can probably draw a foul here if you like went for it. So I yeah, don't know. The I, Celtics have never really been good at logging the free throw attempts. Right. That's the whole thing with Tatum. You know, when he talks about playing off of two feet. Tatum getting into the lane and taking that two foot jump and attacking and trying to play through the contact is so important because that, that is when he gets those free throw attempts. When he's fading through the lane, one foot and kind of gliding his way through, what ends up happening is he ends up kind of like spinning and falling in a certain direction. And even if he gets fouled, he's pushed in that certain direction anyway. And it's harder to get those calls, harder to see those calls. So I think him playing two foot through contact challenging shot blockers like just like a shot blocker shouldn't be afraid to get dunked on a driver shouldn't be afraid to get a shot block because you've got to challenge this shot blocker to make the right play and that doesn't mean like a game of chicken like i'm gonna just drive straight at you and i mean maybe once or twice that it means that but more often than not it means putting some sort of pressure on that guy to make a decision and then when he comes over to recover and block the shot, you just go right through him and say, if you make that recovery, you make that play, then great. But I'm going to bet that most of the time you won't make that play. You might make it two or three times, but out of 10, I'm taking my chances. And I think seven out of eight, I mean, seven or eight out of 10 will probably end up in your favor if you're aggressive and if you've done the right things via, you know, a pick and roll or, or a dribble handoff or the right spacing, the right cutting and all that stuff. So that's a big thing is challenging those guys at the rim. You had earlier this year, I thought you had a good point, which was that Tatum's always been a skinny guy and now he's put on all this muscle and like, obviously he's much bigger and he's still kind of playing a little bit like that skinny guy because, because he does like, like, you know, sometimes he does shy away and sometimes he doesn't, sometimes he does kind of go straight at guys. And I feel like he's kind of learning that this year, but that, I mean, that's a huge piece of his development. When you do that, you are sometimes gambling. Like, yeah, I might turn it over. I might get blocked every once in a while, but I'm betting that six or seven, eight times I'm going to end up going to the free throw line. All of this said, I, I will note that we're talking about a guy who's averaging 27.8 points per game in his last 10 games, 49.2 uh, from the field, 42% from three, 63.7 <laughs> true shooting percentage. Like, He's we're not saying that Jason Tatum is bad though. Like, I don't think anybody is alleging that <laughs> for sure. And it's just funny that like after a six game winning streak in which the, really the driving force was Tatum being excellent. We're like, okay, let's talk about why it's time to pump the brakes. We're, on we're, we're specifically <laughs> searching for potential concerns here. This is a yes, yes. thought experiment that is meant to spark discussion. I think these are legit points. Like obviously 
we'll save the positivity for locked on Celtics. But <laughs> it's very obvious that Jason Tatum has been playing in that fashion of, hey, if he played the past two weeks like, like that all year, he'd be in the MVP conversation. So yeah. And when we get to that portion of the podcast, I'm sure Jason Tatum will be brought up as a reason for optimism. Okay. Right, no, right, Nicole, right. he right. sucks now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Corrales, welcome to Geno Time. Um, I do have another reason as to why we should be pessimistic, though. Oh, of course. <laughs> the quality of competition. Like, I feel like the East has been a punching bag, but no, like they actually have a super team now in the Brooklyn Nets. The Philadelphia 76ers have improved tremendously. Joel Embiid, I mean, sparked a giant fight on the Hoop Collective about whether or not he should be MVP. So clearly, he's <laughs> like the Bucks fun. are the Bucks with Giannis and they have all the pressures of trying to win. So the competition in the East has just improved tremendously. And I think that that can't be understated. And the Celtics should be right there. And they sort of with this past stretch are like knocking on the door of reproving why they belong in that conversation. Don't think they're there yet, but they're like at the top of that list. The competition is just really good now. It's a lot tougher. I forget who it was. I think it was actually Sam Sheehan who came on the podcast and was like, yeah, the Celtics are the gatekeepers of the East. They've been to the Eastern Conference Finals three out of the past four years. If you want to get out of the East, you have to go through the Celtics. Like that's changing. Teams are looking at the Celtics and be like, all right, if you want to get to get to the finals, you got to go through the Celtics. And all the other teams are like, bet. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's fine. I mean, that's that's a fair level of concern for the Celtics. I don't know what their record is against 500 teams, but we can uh, we can look real quick versus 500 and above. The Celtics are 15 and 17. Although, to be fair, teams are generally not going to have good records against other good teams the the portland trailblazers are 12 and 18 only the like the elite of the elite have those winning records against good teams the bucks are 15 and 18 the knicks are 11 and 19 the heat are 11 and 21 you're not going to find a lot of good records against 500 and above really where you get fat in your schedule is beating the below 500 teams like that's the formula what we've always heard about like you go 500 against the good teams you beat all the bad teams and you end up winning 55 games, 60 games. Now, the Celtics, the problem this season is, has been more so that they haven't beaten the bad teams. But I guess to Nicole's point is, as the playoffs come around, there are no more bad teams. And how do you match up? And, you know, the optimistic view of the Celtics path is you get Atlanta, you beat Atlanta. Maybe I like the Philly matchup. Maybe you can get past that Philly uh, Philly in the second round. And, and maybe you get lucky in the third round. But Atlanta beat the Celtics a couple of times. We could talk about the circumstances there, but the quality of competition is is a real thing. And the Celtics have to make sure that they're prepared to face that adversity as well. Yeah, I think the, like the positive spin to the 500 team thing is that the Celtics played a lot of those teams when they were like not themselves, right? Like, I think you look at these last, at this last stretch here and it's like, okay, this is the team the Celtics were hoping to be. Is the, you know, the team that knocks off, that wins six in a row and it's not, you know, and then that looks like a, you know, potential tough out in the Eastern Conference. But then I think to me, the problem is just the Celtics haven't looked remotely competitive against the Sixers or the Nets yet this year. Like, I mean, the Nets have just kind of comfortably, like, I, I don't feel like in either of the games against the Nets, the Celtics have looked like a team that could rally or could make this a game down the stretch. It just kind of looked like a, a really good team playing a not as good team. And as long as that's the case, I don't know. I have my concerns. Like maybe, maybe the Celtics look better with Evan Fournier, you know, when, when, when he's starting to get better integrated and he kind of shores up the bench unit, you know, maybe Jason Tatum just wasn't Jason Tatum during those matchups, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think when you talk about the quality of competition, my biggest concern is just that the Sixers and the Nets just look like a different level. And I know there's reasons to, 
to, to doubt the Sixers, certainly. They've just looked a lot better than the Celtics. They've looked like they've had answers for most of the things the Celtics throw at them this season. And that, I don't know, I, I don't feel like that bodes very well. That's going to be what it is. I mean, that's the playoffs. Like, you, you just got to hope that you, you find a matchup or somebody steps up in a way that you didn't expect. But if we're looking for other things that are concerning, the other obvious thing is the fear that Kemba Walker isn't going to be what we need Kemba Walker to be here. You need Kemba to take the pressure off of Jalen and Jason. But how much can you really use Kemba Walker in clutch situations now? And I think that's a concern. It's not even like, can he average 20-something? What can he do? I think starting him is is fine and, and all of that, but are the Celtics prepared to go down the stretch in playoff series without Kemba Walker and to go with Evan Fournier? You know, you go smart Fournier, the Jays, and say Rob or Tristan, whichever. More so than the knee, even. There is a level of concern that having having that dynamic, you're relying on Evan Fournier. You haven't had Evan Fournier. Like you said, we've only... He's only played a few games, and now there's going to be like a a three-week blitz to get him up to speed. Is he going to be ready for that role? Is Brad Stevens going to trust him in that role? There's a lot there. And if we see Kemba Walker, like if we see uh, the targeted switch to get Kemba Walker defensively, and it just ends up killing the Celtics in playoff games, are the Celtics prepared to make that move? in the playoffs in a series where you're scheming against like one team over and over again, I think opposing teams will definitely try and take advantage of Kemba on defense. I feel like the regular season, a lot of the focus has been on his offensive contributions, but on defense in the playoffs, he will probably get exposed. No, I mean, I I think that's, I think that's very legitimate. I I guess the the question I have it too is, is like, okay, if Kemba can't take the pressure off, I mean, Fournier was, was a great pickup at the deadline. And, and I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about him, but like when he comes back, he's going to have what, like 13, 14 games with the Celtics before the postseason. Like that's, that's nothing. Like he's got no time to assimilate. I think that's, I think that's problematic. I mean, we'll, we'll see how ready Peyton Pritchard is to, to pitch in, you know, Marcus Smart is going to be Marcus Smart. He, he's a good player, but he, I, again, talk about taking the pressure off Jalen and Jason. I'm just not sure that there's, I'm just not sure that there's somebody who will. And then I think for me, the, the last kind of like aspect of this team that I think is, is concerning is kind of tied to, to Kemba and then to some of the stuff that Brad Stevens said last night. The Celtics tried to play Romeo Langford as a point guard, you know, for, for a small stretch. And I mean, I, I think that Romeo's got some potential there. Like he threw a couple of like, you know, nice pick and roll passes. And, and you know, he's mm-hmm. got, he can handle, he can finish at the rim. He can do, he can do some stuff that's interesting, but he's not ready for that. And that's what Brad said after the game was just like, yeah, I wouldn't expect to see much of that, uh, you know, the rest of this year and going into, you know, the postseason. I just like the Celtics, the Celtics depth. I, I mean, beyond, beyond your Fournier's beyond, you know, whatever backup big man you're using, like, you know, whether it's Rob or Tristan, whoever starts like those two are good, but like that's seven players. And after that, I, I, I have some concerns uh, about how playoff ready this team is going to be. I think that's the other kind of obvious one for me. Right. The depth issue goes back to the thing that I brought up kind of at the top there. Like the, the Celtics can't rely on Grant Williams and Shemi Ojale to do too much. Now, look, maybe it may be different in the playoffs because we've seen Shemi Ojale come into a playoff series and make a difference before. Playoffs are, as it's been said many times, all about matchups. And if Shemi Ojale is a good matchup for the Celtics, then he can come in and be really good in the series. He could also come in and be really bad. Same thing for Grant. I think the one thing that we've seen this year, first of all, I've seen a lot of vitriol for Grant Williams. People are not giving this kid a shot. 
I admit that he has not played well, but I think that he and second year players in general have been really screwed by the short turnaround because they didn't have an off season to work on their game. They didn't have a chance to really work on it, get homework from the team and all that stuff. I've said that stuff a million times. At the same time, people will also overlook all of the positive things that he does. I mean, he's, he's in that positive plus minus for a reason. It's not that he's scoring and some of it is, hey, you know, Jason and, and Jalen and other guys are scoring and he's getting all of the positives from that. But he's also setting picks and hitting the occasional open three-pointer. He's shooting like 37% from three. That's perfectly acceptable. He has played good defense in spots. Now he also fouls too much. And he also makes mistakes sometimes and certainly not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. So the Grant Williams thing is the back and forth that, that goes with the rest of the Celtics bench. We know who the starters are going to be. We know Tristan Thompson is going to be good off the bench. We know that Evan Fournier is probably going to be pretty good off the bench. And, and then everything else is situational. The good side is, you know, you're only going eight or nine, eight deep in the playoffs maybe. So you just need to find that eighth guy whether it's Peyton Pritchard, whether it is Shemi Ojale, whether it is Grant Williams, one of those guys, you need to find that eighth guy who's going to give you solid minutes and be a plus player. You don't have a lot of faith past number seven that any of those guys is definitely going to be that guy. That's also going back to our original point, bringing it full circle. Those are like your comments considering full health. So once one person of the like top seven can't play a game for one reason or another, it gets even dicier. So I think it's just all of these things are related. Like everything gets compounded here. It's just the bench is so thin. And then if one of the top seven is out and everyone shifts up, it gets the problem is just exacerbated. Well, and not for nothing, that's kind of the story of the Boston Celtics season so far this year is that like the whole thing has just been like, okay, like Jason Tatum has COVID. Everybody needs to try to like step up because like Jason Tatum is like trying to breathe and then he finally does and the team makes sense again. And, you know, there's only one big on the floor. And that that to me really is just kind of like the whole season is just the, the, the fallout and the domino effect of guys missing time and the Celtics being the team that has missed more games, you know, than any other due to, to COVID. And, you know, in addition to all the other injuries and all the non-COVID illnesses that have been hitting them over the last week or so. Now, all of that said, Nicole, before we, uh, before we wrap up the genotype side, I did want to ask, are we ready to eat crow on Jabari, uh, Jabari Parker yet? I'm not. Okay. No, <laughs> I don't care what you said. No. <laughs> we want to go negative on Jabari Parker. You're welcome to, because that would make the third straight episode where we've done that. So (laughs) please feel free. Jabari Parker, like he's done a fine job. He's been fine. Defensively, he's made mistakes. Like you can't look at what he's done defensively and be like, yeah, that's been okay. People look at the box score and they go, wow, you know, 11 points. That's pretty good. And that is good. Like not going to poo-poo 11 points, but at the same time, there's more to it. And great. Congratulations for joining the team when a bunch of guys were hurt and being forced into some minutes. That's what I was going to say was they were missing three players of the rotation once again. So go watch. I, I, I put it in my um, Boston sports journal breakdown, shameless plug of the Romeo Langford at point guard. The first play that they ran with Romeo as a point guard was supposed to be an alley-oop for Jabari Parker. That was so terrible. That, I mean, it was sniffed out immediately. Like three of the bulls were just kind of like, okay, yeah, no, let's, let's see who you're running through. Let's, I want to <laughs> see this happen. And the ball ended up getting tipped and stolen. 
but they set that pick up by the hash mark. Jabari Parker took this big looping path where it was like, hello, I'm about to turn and run towards the rim. Hey, everybody, watch me go get this alley-oop. And I'm like, all right, we'll get there already. Like, you take eight <laughs> seconds to make that path. Like, nothing, nothing precise about that play at all. And, of course, it got blown up. So, like, Thaddeus Young was in the middle of the lane going, come on, let's go. Come on. It was just so bad. Like, great. He got a couple of passes and he finished at the rim. That's good. He does that stuff. But I would be shocked if he gets many playoff minutes at all. Our mentions would disagree. I was just, I was just taking the temperature. We can leave it there on our end. Make sure you go. If you want to hear us uh, all positives and smiles and roses, John, obviously, is the host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. Make sure to check him out. He writes over at Boston Sports Journal. And you can find him on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. Corrales, thanks for coming on, man. <laughs> My pleasure. Happy to be here.